We're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark this evening. And um, you remember that last Sunday evening as I was sharing God's Word, uh, I just gave a, a brief overview of the four Gospels. And you may remember that I highlighted that scholars have suggested concerning the four different approaches that the Gospel writers have given or brought to the account that they have written for us. Matthew was to do with the kingship of Christ. Mark, the servanthood of Christ. Luke, the humanity of Christ. And John, the deity of Christ. And each of these different ones, I will sometime in the future spend a little time. And it'll be difficult to just cram each one into one. You know what I'm like. But whatever time it takes, we'll look at each of these four different thoughts, the kingship, the servanthood, the humanity, and the deity of Christ as found in these four Gospels. But before we do that, I want to draw some thoughts with my text tonight being Mark 1, 14 to 15, which I'm not going to read for a moment. But I suggested last week, and I suggest again, that these couple of verses are key verses for Mark's Gospel, and I think for all of the four Gospels as well. But before I actually read the text, we read previously to my text that John had, uh, that Jesus had been baptised. And we read this in verses 9 to 11. In those days, this is Mark chapter 1, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the, Gordon, in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And there was something else that is important to the whole of this gospel, which is also found in verses 12 to 13, following from the baptism. And it says there that the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And to get a more comprehensive look of what happened when Jesus went into the wilderness, you can turn to Luke chapter 4 and look at some verses perhaps in a moment. But there Luke gives us an even larger account of what happened there in the wilderness. But following the wilderness experience, Jesus came back into Galilee and leading up to my text for tonight, verses 14 to 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So immediately in Mark's gospel, 
we notice what Jesus came up into Galilee to do. First, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then secondly, to call the people to a place of repentance. And there are three things I want to highlight at this point. At his baptism, those first few verses, Jesus identified with the people. We need to understand that Jesus himself didn't need to be baptised because it was a baptism unto repentance. And Jesus knew no sin. He didn't need to repent of any sin. But in coming to the Jordan and being baptised by John the Baptist, he was identifying himself as an example to those who were around him. Secondly, after his baptism, we discover that he withdrew from the people. And then following his withdrawal, he came to proclaim to the people. But it's also necessary to note when we're considering the early days and the ongoing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the involvement of the Holy Spirit. At his baptism, we read, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And this was an incredible confirmation to those who observed it, that Jesus was more than just any normal Galilean man that would have stood in the crowd around them. He was, in fact, by the declaration that was made, the Son of God. And then after his baptism, so the Holy Spirit came upon him at the baptism, but after his baptism, the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Now, with the modern day and age in which we're living in, that phrase, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, makes me smile. Because I begin to think to myself, I wonder what model of car it was that the Holy Spirit used to drive Jesus into the wilderness. But then, from Luke's account, we read that when he came out of the wilderness experience, he came out full of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Luke 4, 14. So right from the initial moments of Jesus embarking into his ministry years, he gives to us a perfect example of what things should be in regards to Christian service. I will club the two of them first of all together. The importance of repentance and baptism. Firstly, no one has the right to claim to be a servant of God if they have not known the new birth experience and are not living a life of obedience. And sadly today, there are many pulpits that are filled up and down this land of ours, and I'm sure it's the same in other Western nations as well, filled with individuals who evidently have not even come to a place of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know because I've met some. Men that I know would claim to be ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
but they would not be able to appoint to a time when they came to know Jesus as Saviour and Lord. In other words, for them, it is just a job and it is not a Christian calling. And I believe that Jesus gives us the example that anyone that claims to be a servant of God must, first of all, have come to a place of repentance and of baptism. Secondly, I believe we can learn from this that baptism, that is baptism in water, should not be considered as an add-on if you want to opt for it. And yes, we are saved without being baptised in water. And without being baptised in water, we can be assured of heaven. But I believe that baptism in water is a necessary step in our obedience towards following the Lord Jesus Christ. We follow the example that he has given to us to follow. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter declared to those who had heard him preach the gospel. And then they asked, what is it that we need to do? And Peter said this, you need to repent and be baptised. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Notice Peter didn't say, not if you want to. He says, repent every one of you and be baptised thirdly we learn from the example of Jesus the importance of withdrawing and I believe that we need as believers to learn what it is to be drawn away from the crowd and into the place where God can minister to us in other words those moments when we are alone with God Maybe nobody else with us, just us and God, so that we can meet with God. And God can meet with us and minister to us in our spirit or soul. And then fourthly from Luke 4, we learn from Jesus the importance of the leading and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. For it very clearly says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. But there is also something else we learn from the wilderness experience. It is that Jesus knew the Word of God. We touched on this, didn't we, in the family service the last time, the wilderness experience. And the thing that we discover is that Jesus knew the word of God. But secondly, he also knew how to apply the word of God to his experience. And I want to re-echo again today something that I've re-echoed so many times. I might have even done it this morning. How much we need to value the word of God and of our accepting it as the whole from Genesis 1 right through to the end of Revelations 22 as the inspired and the inerrant word of God. And our wilderness experiences because we all go through them, don't we? We all go through those moments which we would consider a wilderness experiences. 
and they're opportunities for us to become matured as believers, to be strengthened, to help give us resolve and determination to fight through every battle, through every temptation, without floundering or yielding to the flesh and to the devil. And so when we look at these things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ here in this first chapter of Mark's gospel, we find that the baptism of Jesus prepared him for the wilderness. The wilderness experience prepared him for his public ministry. And so Jesus turned what could have been a negative experience because who really would like to spend 40 days and nights in the wilderness we would not for it we wouldn't choose for it and I'm sure that Jesus himself would not really have liked it but he allowed the spirit to lead him into that place and so Jesus turned what could have been a negative experience into a positive experience he turned the moments of temptation into moments of triumph he showed the devil that he was not in control, but rather that God was in control. And he's provided for us a powerful example that we can also do the same as we walk in communion with God with the help of the Holy Spirit. We can allow a wilderness experience to prepare us for something greater and better. We can overcome temptation and live in triumph as we equip ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the word of God. See, God has given to us the best defense that we need to help us to live in this hostile world, which is our own wilderness before we enter into the eternal home that he is preparing for us. We need the word. We need the word. We need to know something of the word. Therefore, the word of God must be our daily sustenance. And we need to use it as our daily sword. And when we do that, our daily sustenance and our daily sword, we will know the word of God being our daily strength. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 verse 4. It is written. This is at the first of the temptations. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. And how did Jesus know this? Well we could say well, he was Jesus. He was the son of God. But I believe that Jesus knew it. And Jesus could quote it. Because he knew the Old Testament scriptures. And he knew that it was found in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 where it says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And I'm sure there's a lesson that we can learn from that. I wonder how many meals we have a day. The moment we get up, we want our breakfast. And if you're like me, mid-morning, you want, I was going to say half a packet of biscuits, but I do stop a little bit before that. And then when it comes to lunchtime, you want something again. And then when it comes to tea time, 
or dinner time, whatever way you want to call it. You want something to eat again. And then perhaps before you go to bed, you want a little snack again. But the word of God says that we don't live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the challenge to me is this. As much as I would turn to want the natural to fill me physically, how much and how often do I turn to the word of God, the spiritual, to feed me, to sustain me, and to give me the daily strength that I need to live as a child of God in this hostile world, which is like a wilderness compared to what God has got prepared for us in heaven, which we will one day arrive in and then there's another verse that we know so well concerning the word of God it's from Hebrews 4 and verse 12 and it says for the word of God is living and active it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart this scripture is letting us know that the word of God is living. It's alive. It's powerful. That's why, as I stressed this morning, as I was sharing what I did share this morning, why I much prefer to use a physical Bible. Because this physical Bible, from Genesis through to the end of Revelation, is containing the word of God, and it is a living word. And I'm holding a living word in my hands. And it's alive as we feed upon it. It is alive when it is within us. And it becomes live ammunition that God has given to us to fight the good fight of the faith. And Ephesians chapter 6 we are told to take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And that is exactly what Jesus was doing in the wilderness as he was faced with the devil, as he was faced with the temptations, he took hold and proclaimed the word of God. And imagine Jesus standing before the devil. And I know that he didn't have a book just like we've got today. He probably didn't even have any scrolls with him. But as he was quoting the word of God, it was like a sword coming out of his hand or even a sword coming out of his mouth and destroying all that Satan was wanting to do. And the living word, this living word, is also the book that contains that which we proclaim concerning both the kingdom of God and the gospel. And because it is a living word, it causes dead souls to be made alive again. And we know because this is exactly what has happened to us. Because once we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But as we've come to believe on the word of God. And the one himself who is the word. We know what it is to have been made alive again. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says. All scripture. I've echoed it twice already. From Genesis 1 to the end of Revelations 22. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. And you and I, we have no right to seek to bring correction or reproof to others if at first we need that reproof 
and correction ourselves. That's why when I bring the word of God, when I share the word of God, again, I often say I'm speaking to myself as well. Because there are times when I need reproof. There are times when I need correction before I can help train others in righteousness. And so as Jesus went through the wilderness experience, even though we know he was sinless and we know that he continued to remain sinless, it was a means of preparation. It was a means of affirming that Jesus, knowing the word, would apply the word and thus be vindicated to come out of the wilderness to challenge men and women with the word as he began proclaiming the kingdom of God and calling men and women to repent and to believe in the gospel. And so that's what we come to in Mark 1, verses 14 to 15. Jesus had proven what he was going to proclaim. And we too need to live as godly and good examples as we possibly can to be able to share what we have to share with the lost concerning the good news of the gospel. See, we cannot live lives of hypocrisy, presenting the gospel yet living otherwise ourselves. We cannot proclaim to others that Jesus makes a difference if the difference is not evident in our own lives. And we cannot declare that Jesus truly satisfies if we ourselves are still continuing to go to the broken cisterns of this world. And we cannot be announcing liberty to the captives if we ourselves are still bound to and by the things of the world. And we cannot at the same time be led by and filled by the Holy Spirit if we are filling up and clogging our lives with the rubbish of this world. See, the gospel is good news. <clears throat> we need to demonstrate by who we are that as good news, it has done exactly what it says it does on the can, so to speak. And in light of my favourite verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, my life should be evidence that what I claim to be a new creation or a new creature as a result of the gospel is really what I have become and my behaviour should also verify that this is what has happened. The old is gone and the new has come. And Jesus, in beginning his ministry, was a man whose life witnessed to what it meant to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Not that he needed to change, but that no one could rightly point a finger at him. And he alone, he alone is our example for us to follow. May we look at Jesus. May we learn from Jesus. And may we be good examples so that the world will see that Jesus truly has made a difference in our lives. Amen.